We can find out something about others by, by watching them, by seeing where they go, who they mix with, what they spend their time doing. We can find out even more about them if we can talk to them and ask them, but hey, there are some folks that we can't get to meet face to face. Journalists and, and broadcasters have um, <clears throat> made careers out of helping us with that. They, they interview people and then we can read or watch the, the interview and we can find out much more about someone if we're sufficiently interested in that, in that person. John, of the four gospel writers, is the one who most does that kind of thing in terms of he spends more time on the gospel writings with a number of conversations between Jesus and different individuals. It helps us to find out more about Jesus, to see more clearly the message of who he is and, and what he's about. Between now and Advent, we're going to look at a number of these conversations in John's Gospel. And last week, we began with a conversation in John chapter 3 between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a religious man, a widely respected man. And here, by way of contrast, Jesus is talking with a woman whose reputation is not too high. No matter how good we are, no matter how bad we are. We all need the grace of God. We are all on that same place, on that same basis. We need to receive the grace of God by giving our life to following Jesus and receiving His Holy Spirit by being, as Jesus said in last week's reading, born again, or as He says in this week's reading, receiving the eternal life of the water that He offers John 3, after the conversation with Nicodemus, has the perhaps most famous verse in the New Testament, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And it's the world that he lives, all the people in the world, all kinds of people, very different people. And there's something that we see in that, in the contrast between the um, <clears throat> worthy Nicodemus in chapter 3 and, and the woman of the, at the well in chapter 4. In verse 7, the conversation begins. Now, Nicodemus had come to Jesus at night time, and he'd done that because uh, Pharisees and Jesus weren't on the best of terms, and he didn't want to be seen. So he, he crept up to Jesus in the dark to have the conversation. This time, the conversation happens at noon beside the well. But the thing is, it would be just as quiet at that time. That was the hottest part of the day. And because there were no um, <coughs> mad dogs and Englishmen in the vicinity, um, <coughs> there was nothing about. And, and that would be why the, this particular woman came to the well at this time. She had a low reputation amongst her neighbors. They didn't uh, approve of her. And so she would go to the well at the hottest part of the day thinking, they're not going to bump into any of these guys that look down their nose at me. But this occasion, she bumps into Jesus. Now, there were reasons why Jesus and the woman might not have spoken. He was a Jew and she a Samaritan. The woman herself was surprised at that. Verse 9, and comments upon it, the Jews and Samaritans didn't get on. They hated each other. 
was partly when Jesus was telling the parable that we have in, in Luke chapter 10 of the man who was beaten up on the road to Jericho. Um, <clears throat> the good neighbor who rescues him and, and who helps him is, is a Samaritan, the Good Samaritan story. Now, Good Samaritan um, would be a ridiculous thing to say to the Jews of the time. You might as well talk about a generous miser or a clever idiot. Um, the good and Samaritan just didn't go together. And so the woman, verse 9, comments on that. But also the, the Jewish law and practice of the time was that a man and a woman um, alone in public did not get into conversation. That was indecent. And in fact, that's one of the things that surprised the disciples when they came back, verse 27. They were surprised not to find Jesus talking to a Samaritan, but talking to a woman. So in two ways, Jesus is breaking down the, the barriers, the conventions of the time. The love of God is not constrained by our ideas of who is suitable not constrained by our traditions about who are the right kind of people. God loved the world and all kinds of people in the world and so reaches out to the whole world. And so the indecent, the murderer, the prostitute, the business con man, the factory owner who pays less than minimum wages, the tax dodgers, the terrorists, the smug, clever clogs, the bullies. Not that it's good to be any of these things, but God loves them. God wants to reach them. He wants them to become part of his kingdom. And so God's people, the church, should be at the forefront of breaking down these kind of barriers we should not pigeonhole or stigmatize or decide who is or who isn't worthy. And we should not be so aligned to customs or a political position that any who don't share it are disregarded. Jesus wasn't like that. And he doesn't want his people to be like that. We should be experts in reaching out across these kind of boundaries. So Jesus, as I say, begins conversation with her, verses 7 to 9. And then verses 10 to 15, he, he kind of gains a bit of confidence. He moved the conversation on to talk about more serious things. Yes, there was even something more serious than getting water in a hot place. Now, as we saw last week, Nicodemus didn't understand at first what Jesus was talking about when he said born again. And the woman doesn't understand at first either. Just as Nicodemus was puzzled and saying, well, a man can't jump back into his mother's womb, so the woman here is still thinking that Jesus is talking about natural water. But he's not just talking about running fresh water as might be found in the mountain stream. He was talking about the new life that he offered. He was offering water, verse 14, that would mean you were never thirsty again. The life of God would become like a spring bubbling up within people who received his Holy Spirit. That is, Jesus was offering once more new life, personal renewal. 
still, verse 15, the woman still hasn't quite got it yet. Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Well, Jesus could give the water of eternal life. That's the good news. The bad news is she's still going to have to go to that well and, 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 and find water to drink. Jesus wasn't talking about that kind of thirst. He was talking about her need for God and how he fulfilled that need. But her, she's, she's questioning here. She's asking for a bit more. And so Jesus, when he moves the conversation on, verses 16 to 20, actually pricks her conscience. He moves on to an area that's very personal and very significant. If the woman was to have the living water that Jesus was talking about, she was going to have to get rid of the stale, moldy, stagnant water that she was living off till now. She had had a life of one emotional upheaval after another. <clears throat> Enough husbands coming and going to keep all the village gossips satisfied. Now, we don't know the stories behind these different relationships. We don't know if the woman was more sinned or more sinned against. Sure, it would be a bit of both. We don't know if there were past traumas that had made it hard for her to, to form lasting emotional bonds. But wherever the faults or responsibilities lay, what she did know was that her life was in a bit of a mess, and that Jesus could tell that. And what we have here is just the realization that coming to Jesus just as I am, as we've sung, does not mean that we can come and have Jesus leave us just as we are. Jesus can and will put his finger on things in our lives that need to be changed. He can and he will put his finger on things that need to be addressed. Even as in the case of this woman at the well, very personal matters it's not as if we have a religious life over here and then the, the, rest, the rest of life over here and we can do what we, what we like and the two don't match up. Even into something as personal as personal relationships, Jesus is saying, what are you doing here? So our conscience is stricken. Not because Jesus wants to rub her nose in it, not because Jesus is intent on making her feel worse, but because there's something that needs to be dealt with. And she was going to have to get away from that pattern of trying to fill her life with things that could not satisfy ultimately to receive Jesus. Well, the conversation then moves on and <clears throat> Big claims are made about Jesus, verses 21 to 26. Now, at verse 20, the women's raised the issue about Jews and Samaritans uh, worshipping in different places. Now, that may or it may not be a diversionary tactic. We, we just can't tell from the passage. 
It might be, you know, Jesus is talking about her um, string of husbands and her living with somebody who's, who's not her husband, and she might just be thinking, hey-ho, that's a wee bit too much, that's a wee bit too personal, I didn't think he was going to ask me about that, so she quickly changes the subject. Could be that. Because we've all done that, haven't we? We've all changed the subject when something's got a wee bit too personal, a wee bit too close. Uh, when something's a bit uncomfortable or we're being challenged, then we say, well, oh, nights are fair drawn in or some such peril of wisdom. But it could be, it could be that she wasn't actually trying some kind of diversionary tactic. It could be that her question is genuine. It could be that she's getting to the point of realizing here that here's Jesus who gives us this renewed water, this living water, and it's going to involve dealing with things in her life. It's going to involve forgiveness. And she's actually saying, where and how do I get this forgiveness? Is it where the Jews say it is, or is it what the Samaritans believe? But Jesus is not tribal. Not Jesus is not for the salvation of one people or one race. He's the one who forgives all the world. And he and he alone, not our rituals, not our buildings, not our membership of this or that can save us. Only Jesus. And so again, it's clear. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's only Jesus who mediates between God and sinful humanity. Nobody could make the claims that Jesus made and be one of many saviors, one option to fit in the Lord according to our pick and mix preferences. And so because of Jesus, the holy mountains of Jerusalem or the mountains of Samaria or anywhere else really don't matter very much. The Vatican doesn't matter very much. The Church of Scotland offices in George Street don't matter very much. St. Paul's Cathedral doesn't matter very much. None of these matter very much in terms of meeting the living God. The living God loves the world, and the living God comes to us just as we are, where we are, and how we are. And we cannot hide behind buildings or, or rituals or hymn books or anything else. We come face to face with the claims of Jesus and say, do you agree? Is, am I who I say I am? That's the question he asks. The living God cannot be contained or in one place for one people or one kind of people. The worthy in their own eyes and the disreputable are just as welcome. And so that's the conclusion that's reached in verses 27 to 30 and then later down in the other part that Margaret read in verses 39 to 42. I mentioned last week that when Nicodemus came to see Jesus, uh, John tells us that it was night. He tells us that it was dark, and he's not just giving us a wee bit of information. He's also making the point that Nicodemus was in darkness. Nicodemus hadn't understood yet the gospel. And John, John does that in a number of places in his gospel, where he gives you a little bit of detail, which, yes, is part of the story, but where he is also making a bigger point. And there's another one here in chapter 4 at verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to people, leaving her water jar. She leaves behind what was her main focus up until meeting Jesus, because something more important had come up. 
It wasn't that she was going to not need a drink ever again, but there was something more immediate, something more wonderful in front of her. And leaving her jar represents her leaving the life that she was laying aside in order to pick up this good news about Jesus. Her priorities were being changed. Her lifestyle was going to be altered because Jesus had met her. And a true and a genuine encounter with the living Jesus means that we change. Our lifestyle changes. Our life goals change. Our focus, our ambition, our priorities, our hopes, our preoccupations, they are altered. So before we skim too quickly through this chapter, before we skim too quickly through this conversation with Jesus and the woman at the well, What water jars have you and I left behind? What have we said? We need to put this down in order to have more time with Jesus, to be closer to Jesus, to follow Him more faithfully. Well, at the beginning of the chapter, her life was part of just a pretty dull routine, really. Low self-esteem as she hid from her neighbors by coming for water at the hottest point of the day. She was an outcast. By verse 29, she has become the first evangelist to the Samaritan people. Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Now, it's not that she'd suddenly got a degree in theology. It wasn't that she had done a course in how to share your faith. It wasn't that she had quickly read a book called Ten Top Tips to Telling Others About Jesus. She was simply speaking about her experience of meeting Jesus and sharing that. She was pointing to something big, something significant going on in her life, and more importantly, pointing to the one who was doing this. And through her witness... Her neighbors checked out the claims of Jesus for themselves. And after Jesus had stayed with them a couple of days and many more had believed, they reached the conclusion, notice, that Jesus wants us to reach and that John writing his gospel wants us to reach. This man, verse 42, really is the Savior of the world. The Samaritans get it before most of the Jews, in fact. Is our walk with Jesus so fresh, so life-giving, so meaningful, so transformative that others can see that and on the basis of it, check out the claims of Jesus for themselves? See, if Jesus doesn't make much of a difference to us other than we go to church And we should not expect anyone else to be interested. He's the saviour of the world. What difference does it make? Oh, we turn up somewhere once. That's not it. He's the saviour of the world who's brought salvation. He's the saviour of the world who's brought meaning and purpose into life. He's the saviour of the world who's brought mercy and forgiveness. He's he's the saviour of the world who has dealt with our our low self-esteem or or taken us down off a self-made pedestal. He's the saviour of the world who does all these and more. So is that your saviour? No matter how good or how decent we have been or how badly we've lived, we each need to come to Christ just as we are and accept who he is. 
what he's done for us and the need to follow him. And we have to come just as we are, realizing that he doesn't leave us just as we are. So have you let Jesus deal with the hidden embarrassments in your life? We've all got them. Have you let Jesus deal with the personal issues as well? Have you laid aside your water jar, whatever it is, and instead picked up the cross that Jesus said all of his followers must carry? Is there a living witness in the way that you live your life with Jesus? Does it arouse curiosity and questions in others? There's a lot of questions, a lot to think about in John chapter 4. It's not just a quick have a drink. It's not just a quick ministry of Jesus helping one lady who was in particular need. From that, out of that, out of that conversation, just like the best of interviews, comes much for us to think about, to chew on, and to take for ourselves. All in the context of God's grace. Now we're going to hear um, a hymn played. Um, the words are on the service sheet at verses 4 and 5, and they'll be on the screen as well. We'll remain seated um, just as we listen to this song about God's grace. Have you tasted that grace? Do you know that grace? Have you known that grace touching your life, calling you to leave things aside or to take up something else? And does that light grace impact your life in such a way that others want to hear and think about good news? We all have things that we need to bring to Jesus. We all have things that we need to let God deal with. Think about yours just as we listen. Your grace that leads this sinner home.
Stop. 